0: what would Jesus care about for us? Like as followers of Jesus in the Portland area at Cedar Mill Bible Church in 2023, what would Jesus say to you and me? Like if Jesus were teaching the the Sermon on the Mount today, right here, what subjects would he highlight from this pulpit for these people? Like what is... His priorities? What would he say? Here's what you need to hear, Cedar Mill Bible. And in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about justice and peace. We're going to talk about holiness. We're going to talk about our testimony and witness in the world as we rely on the Holy Spirit. But today, I want to talk about one of the fundamentals of the faith. I want to talk about one of the basics for following Jesus. And I want to talk about it because we live in a world of comfort and security, and because of that, because of the world we live in and who we are, this one is hard for us. Whether we realize it or not, our subject today is a challenge for everyone in this room. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 14 Starting in verse 22 through verse 27 today, I'm going to get us started and read just the first few verses of our passage. I'm going to read today from the ESV. Here we go. It says, immediately he, that's Jesus, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone alone. But the boat, by this time, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Now, to fully grasp the impact of this story, we need to back up for a moment, because this section of Scripture comes right after another section of Scripture. This story is directly connected to the story right before it. Does anyone know what happens Right before this in the Bible, some of you have your Bibles with you so you can just look, right? You're cheating. That's cheat. It's an open book test today. Yeah, you got it, Pete. It's what? It's Jesus feeds the 5,000. See, in our story today, Jesus has gotten some difficult news about his cousin, John the Baptist. And so he finds out that John the Baptist has been killed, has been beheaded by Herod, the governor of the Roman province where Jesus is residing. And so Jesus heads over to the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee to escape all the pressures of ministry. But the crowds are desperate for Jesus they're desperate for his teaching and love and healing and so they follow him there on foot and Matthew says that when Jesus lands on the shore all the people are there waiting and Jesus has compassion on them and he heals them and then it gets late And the people start to get hungry, and the disciples say, Jesus, these people are a long way from home. you got to send them back home so they can get some food. But instead of doing that, Jesus does something amazing. With only five loaves of bread and two fish, he feeds a crowd of thousands. At the end of this story, Matthew tells us, they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now you have to imagine this moment. Thousands of people out in the country on the side of this sea gathered together, having now eaten their fill. Can you imagine being one of the disciples and, and like handing out the food? Just thinking, what is going on? Like James catches John's eye and he's like, dude, this is the ticket. We hit the jackpot here. If this is a life of faith and trust in Jesus, I'm all in. Sign me up for the good life. This is going to be a heck of a ride. And I have to wonder, I wonder if in that moment, Jesus doesn't perceive that his disciples are getting the wrong impression. I wonder if he's thinking, these guys need a lesson. They need to really understand what faith in me truly looks like. And I bring this up because this is how actually most of us want to follow Jesus. We want to follow the Jesus who feeds the 5,000. We want to cruise along through life, and whenever we encounter problems, we want to turn to Jesus and say, what can you do about this one, Lord? Can you solve it? Can you solve it miraculously? Can you solve it quickly? Can you make sure that we have more than than enough in the end? You see, I want to be full and completely satisfied with leftovers. That's how most of us want to live this life. And we're looking to Jesus to make that a reality. You see, this is too often, I think, our limited picture of faith. That if we trust in Jesus, he'll he'll fix our problems and ensure that we have this, this easy, satisfied life. And I imagine the disciples are thinking something similar here. And maybe that's why our passage today begins the way it does. This whole thing goes down. And then immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. I mean... Why the urgency in Jesus? Why does he so emphatically and intentionally put his disciples in this boat right now? Friends, I believe it's because Jesus cares. It's because Jesus cares about his disciples' understanding of faith, about what real trust in him looks like. I believe Jesus in this moment desperately wants his followers to understand that that worldly comfort and security is not what he's offering and that sometimes faith won't mean easy meals and full bellies and the path of least resistance. You see, the truth of the matter is this. If you are a follower of Jesus, there will be times when he intentionally sends you into turmoil, difficulty, distress, and even danger for the sole purpose of teaching you to know and trust him more. For the sole purpose of growing and increasing your faith, because Jesus cares about your faith. In his his book called Rooted Leadership, Uh, that our staff and elder team read together real recently. Dr. John Johnson, who goes to this church, quotes uh, Mark Buchanan saying this, and I love this quote. My bent, maybe yours, is to find the easy way, the shortest distance, the safest course. Yet the times I've stumbled upon the hard way, the long stretch, the costly journey, the twisted path, The route that doubles back, circles around, crisscrosses, detours, skirts the precipice. Those have been the best. The easy route rarely transforms anyone. When answering the question, what experiences have made you the leader you are? Maybe we'd substitute the follower of Jesus you are. No one answers. I was a shallow, dysfunctional leader until I spent a week snorkeling in Hawaii and gorging at luau's. I wish that were true. I wish it worked that way, but it doesn't, friends. If you are a follower of Jesus, there will be times when he intentionally sends you into distress for the sole purpose of increasing your faith. Verse 23. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. That's Jesus. When evening came... Jesus was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. I love the imagery here because if you kind of step back and kind of catch the whole picture, most scholars believe that from this mountainside where Jesus sits and calmly prays, he would have had a very clear view of the disciples in that boat. This is like a picture of the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And this is, this is obviously a calm day, but you can just imagine Jesus sitting here right on this hillside praying and just watching the disciples struggling. Jesus is just sitting there talking to God and they're out there like rowing and paddling and stressing out. And we'll find out as this story continues that there's not a whole lot of urgency in Jesus to rescue them. He's not like, oh, no, Lord, the guys are in trouble. Better get the Batmobile. Like, like let's, let's do it. No, not at all. In fact, Matthew goes out of his way in this story to tell us that Jesus takes his dear sweet time. It says, when evening came, he was there alone. That's Jesus. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now, we're going to get to that part in just a second. But first, we need to understand this. In, in the Roman world, the night was divided up into four different watches, four different like, watches that a soldier would have. The first one was called evening. It was from 6 to 9 p.m. The second was midnight, 9 to midnight. The third kind of shift was cock crowing. It was from 12 to 3 a.m. And then finally, there was morning, and that was 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., Those are the four watches of the night. Now, let's read our verses again. You can do some math. When evening came, when six o'clock rolled around, the boat by this time was already a long way from land. This means these guys have been out there for a while already. And then Jesus finally decides to show up on the scene when? In the fourth watch of the night. Sometime between 3 and 6 a.m., and if you do the math, that's at least 9, probably 10 or 11 hours of the disciples out there struggling against the wind and the waves. And the question is, why does Jesus wait so long? Why does he seem to very intentionally just allow his followers to struggle? One of my favorite authors says this. Adults learn best on a need-to-know basis. (laughs) And the idea is that that we learn when we need to learn. If if you're trying to give me information that I don't need, I will not take it in. I don't have enough room in my brain for useless information. I only want the needed information, friends. Adults learn on a need-to-know basis. And maybe the same thing is true about faith. Maybe adults Also, trust on a need-to-trust basis. Maybe these, these guys, these disciples, have not really had to rely on Jesus yet, but now, now they will need to. Now they will really need to have faith. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost, And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Friends, this is the point in the story when Jesus begins to teach his disciples about what faith really looks like and about what it means to trust him above all else in the midst of life's struggles and hardships and storms. And here's the first thing they learn. This is the foundational truth of the teaching. Faith must be founded on the truth that Jesus is God. Real faith, sustaining faith, lasting faith, empowering faith is founded on this truth. Jesus is God. In other words, trust only really matters if the one you're trusting in is in fact the all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful creator of the universe. This passage tells us that clearly with, not, with three not-so-subtle clues. Here's the first one. Jesus is walking on water. That's pretty impressive, really, to anybody. Um, and yet some of us would still sit here and think, I bet you David Copperfield could do that. <laughs> like, like, there's got to, you know. So, so if we're all kind of impressed by it, and yet maybe, I don't know, right? But this had a deeper meaning for the Jews, because Job 9.8 says this, he, that's God, alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. It was the Jewish firm belief that only God could walk on water and all of a sudden here comes Jesus and he's doing it in a storm no less. Second, their, their response to Jesus walking on the water is What? Fear. They're they're scared. They're not like, oh man, thank you Jesus for coming out to save us. How amazing. No, they see Jesus coming and Matthew tells us that they are terrified. This is what theologians call a theophany. It's the appearance of God to human beings. And every time this happens in scripture, the reaction is the same. Terror. How many people in here would be like, man, it'd be so great if God just showed up and showed himself to me? No, it wouldn't be great at all. It would scare the, out of you. It would, you would just be horrified, because his power, and majesty, and glory would overwhelm you. They're getting a glimpse of that in Jesus, and they are terrified. Here's our third clue. What does Jesus say? In response to their fear, he says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And that's kind of a a loose, understandable translation. But technically, what the Greek really says here is, take courage, I am, don't be afraid. Jesus says, take courage, I am, don't be afraid. Now, I'm hoping this, this rings some bells for you. Because this is exactly what God says to Moses from the burning bush when Moses asks God to tell him his name. God says, Moses, go back to Egypt and, and free my people. And Moses says, well, who should I say sent me? Right? It's kind of a delay tactic for Moses. But he's saying, "Like, tell me, like, who's, who's the authority here? Who's the authority behind all this? And God says, you tell them I am sent you. That's the Jewish name for God. And again, in this story, the disciples are realizing that Jesus is not just some pretty cool rabbi who's gonna heal people and feed people and lead them to the good life. The very clear message from Jesus in this moment is, I am God in the flesh, and there are no struggles, there are no winds, there are no waves, there are no challenges or difficulties or even tragedies in this world more powerful than I am. I know this seems basic, but let me tell you why this matters, specifically in the world we live in. This matters because there are really smart people in this world. There are really, really intelligent, crafty, insightful individuals alive with us in the world today, in our culture, promoting themselves all over the place People who have actually some really good ideas, even some great ideas about how you can, can or should live your life. People who want to offer you insights about health and exercise and financial planning and mental strength and meditation and mindfulness. And some of those ideas might actually help you, might help you succeed or get ahead. But here's the truth. At some point, none of those really smart ideas or people will be bigger than the winds and waves of this world. They may help you for a little while, but at some point, they will fall short. Jesus will never fall short because he's not just a smart guy with some good ideas. He he wasn't just a resourceful rabbi with really grand religious thoughts. No, he is God. That's the difference maker. That's why your faith in him is so essential. You're not trusting something that will get you down the road for a little while. You're trusting someone who will get you into the life of eternity that you were made for. Friends, I say that because some of you this morning are in the midst of some winds and some waves. You're you're facing some difficulties or challenges in your life. And perhaps you need more than anything right now to simply remember this. What you face is not bigger than the God you serve. Jesus does not just come with some good advice for living so that your life can be easier or more comfortable. No, he comes as, more, as one who's more powerful than the, the very life you live. He's over and above all of it. That's why he's walking on these waves. But notice here what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't calm the storm. He, he doesn't show up on the scene and say, Peace, peace. Be still, he's done that in the past. He doesn't say, hey guys, hey, I know you're freaked out, but don't worry, the shore's just right over there. No, he says, even in the middle of this storm, you can have comfort and courage and a sense of security because I am with you and I am God. Friends, instead of bringing calm to this storm, Jesus wants to bring calm to their hearts. Let me ask you this. In the midst of your life's storms, does the knowledge that God is with you give you strength? Or do you just want him to fix it? Very different approach. In the storms of your life, does the knowledge that God is with you give you strength? Or do you just want him to fix it? Because here's the truth, as human beings... We often want the easy fix, especially in the midst of struggle, especially in the midst of suffering. What's the the nearest off ramp? As human beings, we will rely on and cling to anything. We love to rely on our boats. And what are boats in this story? Boats are the things in our lives that we are tempted to believe will keep us afloat amidst the storm. Boats are the things that we are truly trusting in to give us meaning in life and purpose and self-worth and safety and security in this world. And what Jesus does is he often uses storms to threaten the stability of our little boats so that instead of putting our faith in them, we will actually abandon ship and climb aboard him that will have faith in him. If you think about the story Jesus tells This is at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount of two people who build their houses, that build their lives. It's a metaphor. One on sand and the other on rock. Two people, two lives, two houses, sand, rock. And the question is, how do you tell the difference between the two? How can you tell which house is built on sand and which house is built on rock? They're both looking pretty good. They're both just kind of cruising along, living their lives. What differenti- differentiates one from the, from the other? You know when you can tell those two houses apart? When storms show up. The storms reveal who is who, which is which. Jesus uses storms, friends, in our lives to crumble false foundations and to sink insufficient little boats of false security if, if your life is really in the lifeboat of, of beauty, if that's where you've built your life on, beauty, well, friends, here comes the storm of aging. It's a real fun one. If you build your life on health, like we live in this real health conscious world. It's a good thing to be healthy. I'm not saying don't eat healthy. It's a good thing. But if you're, if that's the lifeboat of your life, if that's like where, what you're clinging to for security, well then here comes the storm of disease. If you build your life on your career, then there's the storm of downsizing. If you build your life on true love, then here's, here comes the storm of rejection or the storm of disappointment. Friends, here's, For every single little boat of security in this world, there is a storm that can sink it. I'll say that again. For every single little boat of security in this world, there is a storm that can sink it. So Jesus says, don't trust your boats. Instead, have faith in me. And again, friends, this message is so essential for us because in 2023 Portland, we are offered a lot of boats, a lot of places to find security in this world. But now as the story continues, we'll get a picture of what it actually looks like to abandon the security of a boat and instead trust in Jesus in the middle of a storm. Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Verse 28, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. You know, one of the things I had wrong for years about this story is the reaction of the other disciples in the middle of this incident. You know, i would always kind of assumed, you know what, you heard the story in Sunday school as a kid, if you grew up in church, I did, and I always sort of assumed like that all the other guys in the boat were like, he picked Peter? Darn it, he always picks Peter, <laughs> right? Like, I wanted to walk on the water, like, Jesus, you're not supposed to have favorites, and Peter's always your favorite. Like, no. I mean, like, that they were bummed, or or maybe that they were excited. Like, yeah, Peter, go for it, bro. Do it, man. As Peter's climbing over, like, the edge of the boat and stepping on the water, they're just like, yeah, this is nuts. High fives around. Right? I sort of kind of assumed that the atmosphere of this moment was one of encouragement or positivity. And it wasn't. It, it was absolutely not, because... If you read the passage closely and look back at verse 26, who do the disciples think that Jesus is? They think he's a ghost. And the word for ghost is actually kind of rooted in the Old Testament word for deception. Why? Because ghosts and evil spirits come to deceive us, right? They think the one who was calling Peter out onto the waves in the middle of this storm is actually a deception. They think Peter's being deceived. They aren't cheering Peter on. They're warning him. They're cautioning him. They're saying, Peter, don't do it. Friends, faith. Faith, not not just believing in God and going to church. It's part of faith, but that's not faith. Faith, actually trusting Jesus with your life and in your life, letting him lead and guide and direct your time and energy and resources that will not always be popular and supported by the people around you. It won't, just absolutely won't. Faith in our world has been made this nice, warm, safe, cozy little word. We sell it at Target to put on your wall. Like I always have this like conflicting like, pastoral moment when I go to Target and like, you, like you're walking through the home decor section and then there's those like big, nice wood block things you can hang up and it's like family, love, faith. And I'm always like. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, some of you are like, I have that in my house. That's okay, that's all right. I'm just saying what Target means by that is not the same thing as what Jesus means by that. It's not a cozy word to put on your wall. It's a life to live. Faith in Jesus is risky and scary and often wildly unpopular. Two questions here for us that we have to wrestle with today. One, what is the boat you are tempted to rely on and stay in? I'll read that again with a different emphasis. What is the boat you are tempted to rely on and stay in? What's the lifeboat of your life right now that you're tempted to cling to? Really? Where are you finding safety and security and identity in this world right now? Dig deep, be honest. Here's the second question. What would it look like for you to get out of that boat and trust Jesus in your life right now? That's faith. What would it look like for you to get out of that boat? To stop relying on that boat and start relying on Jesus. To abandon ship and get out on the water with Peter. To not just believe in him, but to follow him and rely on him and do something that required faith. You see, some of us, so many of us, and I include myself in this, so I am preaching to myself today too. So many of us are just sitting around and waiting for Jesus to call us out onto the water. I'm here, Lord. Like, if he tells me to do it, I'm in. I'm just waiting. I've been waiting for years, decades even, right? But notice something about this story. I think it's important. Jesus doesn't ask Peter to come walk on the water. Not first. Who initiates? Peter initiates. This is why I love Peter. This is why Peter's my favorite disciple. At least it's one of the reasons, right? All his mess-ups actually add to my love for him. But this moment, I'm just like, yeah, Peter, you're the man. Why? Why? Because he's looking for an opportunity to trust, to have faith, to actually be a follower. Lord, he says, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, do it. Let's do it. Friends, I think God is looking for people like Peter, for for churches like Peter, who aren't just available to trust him, but who are looking for opportunities to trust him. What would it look like for you to get out of that boat and trust Jesus in your life right now to really have faith? But when Jesus, I'm sorry, but when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand. I love that. That's the second time we've heard the word immediately in this passage, right? Like there's an urgency in Jesus here. It's the same urgency he had when he was sending him out into the storm. Get out there in that storm. And then there's Peter sinking. And immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Here's the truth. Trusting God, I'm saying this because I do not want this sermon to make it seem like This is a real easy thing. Just go and do it. Trusting God is not easy and you will fail. Like You've signed up for a life of following Jesus and trusting him. You signed up for a life of of failing and getting better and failing and trying again, of failing and moving forward and then failing and taking a few steps back again, friends. Trusting Jesus is not easy and you will fail. Here's another way to think about this story. Peter has enough faith to get out of the boat, but not enough faith to sustain him on the sea. And I bring that up because maybe that's you today. Maybe some time ago you felt God call and you stepped out with great confidence in his ability. You just climbed right out of that boat, right over to the edge and onto the water. But then, but then over time, the wind and the waves and the struggles have chipped away at your faith in him and now you find yourself Doubting. What am I doing out here? Why did I make this move? That boat, it sure looks good right now. Maybe I'll just turn around before I start sinking. See, friends, maybe this morning is not about a new venture of faith for you, but maybe it's about the reinvigoration of an old one. Maybe today God's word for you is stop looking at the wind and waves and difficulties and struggles and get your eyes fixed back on me for the journey. You know, one of the things I wonder about Jesus in this scene is the tone of his voice. It's one of the things that I, I miss often in scripture because we don't really know. It's his tone matters, right? When we talk, our tone of voice really makes a difference. If I say, church, I really love you, that's a little different than, church, I really love you, right? Some of you need A, and some of you need B today, right? But they're different. What was the tone of Jesus' voice when he said to Peter, you have little faith, why did you doubt? Can I offer a, a guess? I don't think he's angry. I don't think he's stern. I don't think he's disappointed. I think he's proud and pleased. I I believe that there's a little grin on his face as he reaches down for Peter's hand because he's anticipating the next time when Peter will do it again and trust him even more. Friends, some of us are so afraid of sinking in the sea that we never get out of the boat and yet the clear message of this story is twofold. A, yes, you will probably at some point sink. You will blow it, you will mess up, you'll trust God and it'll feel like the world is winning and then God, that God is nowhere to be found and you'll wanna turn back or you'll start to go down. You will probably at some point sink, that's A, here's B. Jesus will be there to catch you. It's maybe the most important part of the story. He will reach out his hand and he will pull you out of the water. You see he's not just more powerful than the waves. He's stronger than your failure. I'm going to say that again. Some of you in here need to hear that today. Those are the most redemptive words of this message. He's not just more powerful than the waves, he's stronger than your failure. He's more more gracious and kind than your doubts and your deficits. See, that's what the disciples learn here. And at the end of this story, here's what we're told. And when they climbed into the boat, that's, that's Peter and Jesus, right? Peter out of the boat, sinking, Jesus saving him. And then they climb in. I mean, just imagine the look on the disciples' face at this point. There's so much in this story. I'm like, Matthew, couldn't you elaborate a little bit more? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him saying, truly you are the Son of God. Friends, that's why we gather. That's why we're here. That's why we come together every week in this place. It's why it's so important, because we gather to worship him. We gather in this place to remember who he is, who the one we trust in is, who the one we follow with our lives is. We we lift up the reality here in this place that the one we love and need and follow and trust is the Lord of heaven and earth and that he is bigger than everything we face in this world. That reminder is essential. That reminder is the bedrock of faith. And one of the ways we remind ourselves of that, one of the ways we're strengthened and offered courage for the storms of this life is through this meal that we share together. It's this meal where we remember that Jesus is not just bigger than the wind and the waves, but that he's bigger than the grave. The biggest storm of all, the storm that will sink every single boat in this entire world is the storm of death. And Jesus says, I beat that one too. If God is for us, who can be against us? Since he did not Spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? These are Paul's words in Romans. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. That's the declaration of this meal. It's why you can have confidence walking out of here. Not because you're so good or so faithful, but because he's so strong and he is with you. Friends, as we prepare to come to the tables this morning, let me ask you again. What's the boat that you're clinging to in life right now? Jesus cares about you, not just saying you believe in him, but having faith, exercising faith, learning to trust him. What would it look like for you to climb out of a boat in your life right now and really trust Jesus? I mean, get a picture of that. And if it doesn't scare you a little bit, you you probably need to think again. We're going to come to the table in just a minute. The elements are here, the bread and the cup, and we're going to declare together that our God is bigger than all of the storms in this life. And friends, if that doesn't give us courage, then I do not know what will. So take a minute. Think about what God is calling you to do in life these days, where you are, what he's speaking to you individually, and then when you're ready, come forward. The tables are open, and we'll receive the elements together in just a moment.